Well, happy Labor Day, everybody. Glad you guys made it to church on this long weekend. It's the last weekend of summer. It's the first weekend in the fall, and we're getting ready to kick off um, a new series that we could not be more excited about. But one of the things that um, I love and, and mourn about Labor Day is it's the end of summer and the beginning of fall. It means our kids go back to school. But it, it, for me, it's also the end of all the good movie season. All the best movies kind of come and go in the summer, and then we have to wait until Oscar season in December. And, um, but I've realized there's a number of types of movies that I like. I like r- romantic comedies and action, adventure, and mysteries. But there's this other kind of genre of movie that I I realized I didn't think I liked, but the more I thought about it, I actually love, and that is the genre of sequels. Are are any of you guys like like sequels? Like, you know when a movie is so good, and then all of a sudden you're just waiting for the next movie, and no matter what the next movie is, you're like, I have to see that. And uh, for me, I hate always going back to Star Wars. Maybe it's because that's the era I was born in, but I just think Empire Strikes Back has to be the best sequel of all time. It's the best story, the best sequel, and Daryl's like, Ben, that movie's like 40 years old. There's got to be like better sequels since then. So I'm like, not in my world. So in your world, um, what, what is it? What's a, what's a better sequel? What's a more recent sequel that, that might take the place of the Empire Strikes Back? I'm sorry, what? Rocky, yeah. Rocky IV has to be the best all-American movie of all time, but Rocky is old. That's a good one. What else? What are some other movies that have great sequels? Godfather, Back to the Future. I'm sorry, what? Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, what? High School Musical, duh. Now you're speaking my love language. Oh, number three, senior year. I like, oh, it's so good. Um, Ghostbusters never makes that list. Ghostbusters 2, I don't know what happened there. Um, Well, no one likes Star Wars, but it turns out everyone likes the Avengers. And uh, what's what's crazy about the movie and the the Avengers is uh, it's, there are so many movies that went into making the movie Avengers. Do you know how many prequels there were before the actual movie Avengers? Who knows how many movies happened before that movie? Who wants to take a guess? Six. Six. Come on. Way more. Eight. Way more. Give it to me, Alex. Like 16. 18 is the right answer, right? Work, nice work, Brenda. Yeah, my son and I, we're, we're, we're counting them all through. And we're, like, we're adding them all up. And we always, what's the one we forgot? Doctor Strange. Yeah, I forgot that was a movie. Yeah. Um, But what's interesting about the Avengers is the Avengers, it has so many movies because it's such a rich story. And the more, if you're a Marvel person, but the more you get into a story, the more you cannot wait for the next movie. And it was about like Iron Man 3 where finally I'm like, oh, I am all in. Like whatever the next Marvel is, I'm going to, like I even watched the the third Thor and I hated the second Thor, but I'm like, I'm in. I have to know where the story's going. It's going somewhere. And uh, and then the Avengers came out and the way the movie ended, right? Half of, half of our heroes died. And you're like, what? And now I'm like, no matter what happens, no matter when the the, the, the the sequel comes out, I am watching it no matter what. Because there's something about a really incredible story and wanting to know how it happens. And then when the preview comes out, you're just like, you know, you go onto YouTube and they like unpack the, pre- the, the preview and they tell you everything you need to know. Well, t- this morning's sermon is simply a preview to the best sequel um, in all of the Bible. This whole coming... <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Um, this, coming, this coming fall, uh, coming to a church near you, um, we are going to be studying Acts all fall. We're going to dive deep. <laughs> yeah, like, wait, we thought we were watching movies. Uh, we're going to dive deep. We're going to look at the book of Acts. We're going to go chapter by chapter and unpack this incredible story. 
But the story of Acts is a sequel. It's not a book all by itself. It's the second book written by Luke. The Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote that book. He wrote this um, very meticulous account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Acts is the sequel to that. And today, this morning, we're looking at Acts chapter 1 through 9, and that's like the preview of the whole Yep, yeah, all of it. We're going for it. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, is basically the preview of Acts. So if you have your Bible, and we're going to be doing this all, um, all series long, grab the Bible in front of you, and we're going to unpack God's Word. And as you get your Bible ready, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, I thank you so much for the way that you made us. You made us people who love stories. You, you made us for people who love nail biters. You made us for people to be in relationship. And I thank you that the book of Acts has all that is the story of you, a God who loves his people and who has put us on an incredible adventure. And we pray as we unpack your word, God, that you would have your way with us. You'd have your way with us individually and you have your way corporately and that we would be a church that would give you honor and glory both now and forevermore. And all of God's kids said, amen. All right, so here we are in Acts chapter one, verse one. In my former book, and what was the former book? Luke. Okay, good. In my former book, Luke, Theopolis, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and he began to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after instructing uh, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes into a cloud and hid from their sight. Now in these nine short verses, we get a little preview of what Luke is going to do throughout the stories of Acts. And Acts, the traditional um, title is the Acts of the Apostles. But really what's going on in the book of Acts is it's not the Acts of the Apostles, it's the act of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Luke, that Luke was beginning to tell the story of what Jesus did in ushering his kingdom of God. But the story of Acts is the establishment of that kingdom through the church. And uh, our high school students, um, every now and then they come across this thing called the Bible Project. And it's this incredible video that really helps understand what scripture is. And I still use it. I think it's incredible. And when I watched the one on Acts, um, they came up with this great sentence, which I just think captures the theme of the book of Acts. And it says this, in the whole book of Acts, this is what's going on, that Jesus is leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and to invite all peoples, all peoples, an international multi-tribe gathering to live under his reign. That is what's going on in the book of Acts. And the reason why we're doing this study as a church is because not only was that a great history lesson, oh, look what they did in the book of Acts, but we as a church long to be like the book of Acts. We long to be a people led by the Spirit, going into the whole world and inviting all peoples, an international multi-tribe gathering, to live under the reign of Christ. 
That is our heart as a church. That's our heart that we're going to lean into all fall long. And who knows what the Holy Spirit might have in store for us. So let's look one more time at this passage. Chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there's just three short things that I want to bring up as we kind of unpack the scripture before we take a, um, a deeper look onto one, one thing. And that's this. All of Acts, and really all of scripture, is centered on the risen king. The whole story of Scripture is pointing towards this, but really the whole story of Acts is recognizing that we serve, we worship, and we're witnesses to the risen King. And um, the whole story of Luke is leaning towards that, and Jesus is enthroned as King in his death and his resurrection. Through the whole story of Acts, whenever Peter goes out and, and Stephen goes out and Paul goes out, whenever they give sermons about who Jesus is, every single sermon is, ends with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the risen king. He is the one who demands our allegiance. But what's incredible is everyone is waiting for Jesus to show up with might and with power. Even the apostles right here says, right, um, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Everyone's waiting for Jesus to come in with power and with might. But what's interesting about the kingdom of God is it's totally unlike our kingdom. It's not ruled by power and might. It doesn't crush the weaker people. But the kingdom of God, the main thing about the kingdom of God is that it's characterized by intimacy with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Ever since the beginning of the story of God, way back in Exodus, when God's people um, get, get the Ten Commandments and they go and they, they're outside of Sinai, they build a tabernacle. And the Holy Spirit comes in the tabernacle and Moses records that it's finally God's like, you are my people and I am your God. The tabernacle was the physical space where the presence of God got to be um, present. And throughout the whole story of Scripture, you finally get all the way to the end of Revelations. At the end of Revelations, when the new kingdom comes, when the new Jerusalem comes, finally uh, Jesus clarifies that, oh, you are my people and I am your God. God's longing for all of human history is to be with us. And it is through Jesus' death and through his resurrection that we now have access to the Holy Spirit. All the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, they're all looking forward to the day that the Holy Spirit was going to come and be a marker of this kingdom of God. I love the way that Joel says this in Joel chapter 2. He says this, And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the apostles were looking towards Jesus as the risen king. And not just the risen king who comes in power and might, but one who brings and ushers in his Holy Spirit. And what I love about the kingdom of God, just like all kingdoms, seems like there's this thing that kingdoms want to expand, they want to grow. And Jesus is no different. He longs for, the Holy, uh, for his kingdom to grow and to expand. He says, when your spirit comes upon me, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus longs for him to be followed by people from every tribe and every tongue from all over the world through all of human history. That is his heart. 
And when you look at the book of Acts, and we're going to be unpacking these over the, over the course of these next couple of weeks, it is really miraculous when you think about it that this little tiny tribe of Jewish people up in Galilee who are followers of this person, Jesus, ended up telling such a compelling story that this little tr- group of people ended up becoming a worldwide religion. And we get little, little, little pieces of this. We start in uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria this hated region in, in Israel, to go and tell them, um, people there, about Jesus. We find out that Paul, um, Saul uh, becomes Paul on the way to Damascus, which is out in Syria. And we see that Peter um, invites Cornelius, an Italian uh, officer, in, um, goes to his house and realizes that the Holy Spirit is available not just to Jewish people, but to Gentiles. And through the whole book of Acts, we realize that this little tribe of people is not, that this, the, the kingdom of God is not just for a tribe of people, but is for everybody. It is for the entire world. And what's incredible is by the time we get to Acts chapter 11, we get a picture, this momentary picture of, I think, what God might be inviting us as a church to be even more. In Acts chapter 11, you have the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of these people empowered by God, sent out by the Holy Spirit to be Jesus's witness. And all of a sudden you have this gathering in, um, in Antioch. It's this multi-ethnic gathering of people. And in this large multi-ethnic gathering of people, it was the very first time that they were called Christians. The name Christian comes from um, from this group in in Antioch. Now, what's funny about the word Christian, it was a derogatory word. I always thought, man, being a Christian meant that you were a, a Christ follower. But being a Christian meant that you belonged to Christ. And in this multi-ethnic gathering, these people, they were, they were pinned. They said, you are slaves to Christ. Like we're all poor and we were slaves, but you were actually slaves to Christ. And the Christians took that as a mark and said, yes, we belong to Christ. And this multi-ethnic um, Christ-belonging people were then from there sent out missionaries into the entire world. And Paul launched all of his missionary journeys from there. And what's incredible about that is that those three markers are totally impossible to do without the Holy Spirit. Like when we read through Acts and we mark, walk, walk through Acts, we're going to realize all these things that happen There is no way that in human power, this little ragtag group of people would gather a story that would compel enough people from every background, that people would find joy in being called slaves of Christ, and then would pool their resources to go into the whole world. And we, sitting here today, are the fruit of that moment of those people empowered by the Holy Spirit doing incredible things. And all that is just a preview. And really, for the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking it more and more and more. But as I was getting ready for this sermon, as I was getting ready for today, and even praying in our prayer time, I really wrestled with this thought of if the kingdom of God happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power, and the fruit of that Holy Spirit, at least in the the, the story of Acts up through chapter 11, is to be this multi-ethnic gathering of people, of people who belong to Christ, who are slaves to Christ, and are willing to pool their resources and their hearts to be sent out people, then what would it be like if we actually allowed space for the Holy Spirit to have his way in us? And I'm not going to lie, the more and more that I thought about it, and the more and more I prayed, it became a scarier and scarier prayer. And I actually stopped praying for me, and I prayed mostly for you, because I'm like, Lord, help them. (laughs) But think about it. It is a mark of the Holy Spirit to be a multi-ethnic church. Everything about who we are, everything about the way that we're wired is that we find our people, our family, our tribe, our in-group, and then we set up a barrier around our in-group and we point our guns at all the out-groups and we defend ourselves to the death. 
It's like human nature. All of human history is riddled with in-groups fighting out-groups to the death. It's, it's, I don't know if it's the way that we're wired naturally or if it's part of our sin nature. I have no idea, but it is so deeply in us. Um, a while ago, I was a part of this writing group, and there was a, a dozen of us are in it, or so in it. And we did this exercise um, that, that this person, a friend of mine, led. And what he did is on a piece of paper, he wrote out um, a number of different shapes. He passed out these group of this paper to all of us in this writing group with all these shapes. And they said, here's the rules of this game. There are no rules, and you can't use your words. And you need to figure out what to do. And then he left. And this group of pastors, and we're all sitting around. So we were like, oh, we know what this is. This is like some sort of like team building game. Or, or what is he really trying to get at? And so, but we can't talk, but we're kind of like doing like little, little pastor, you know, eye glances towards each other. And we're looking at our little papers. And like there's a group of us. Some people have triangles. Some people have wiggly, uh, squiggly lines. One person has a big X. And, um, and we're trying to figure out what do we do? And, you know, so we get in a pattern. Well, there's not really enough for a pattern. So maybe that's not it. Um, you know, and we keep... We keep stumbling around. Well, sure enough, five minutes later, he walks in. And how does he find our group? We've organized ourselves by our cards. I'm a triangle. Then you're a triangle. And we're over here. All the triangles over here. Oh, you're a squiggly line. Okay, I'm a squiggly line. All squiggly lines over here. Oh, and you're the X. And you got excommunicated, you know? Like without even using words, good, kind-hearted Christian people, we knew in our core of our being that we are to be with like-minded people, like people. It's how we're wired. But yet if we're going to be a church that gives witness to Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit has to have his way with us. And the way that that is marked is that if our church, if our community becomes more and more multi-ethnic, multi-political, multi-socioeconomical, multi-generational, multi-family system, multi-everything, because the world only gathers with like-minded people and their in-group and they point their guns to everybody else. But it is a ministry and witness to the Holy Spirit when we gather and we say, no, we, this diverse group of people, come together and we worship Jesus. And so if we said, Holy Spirit, have your way with me, what would it take, Holy Spirit, to have your way with me in such a way that our church could be multi-everything? And you think about it, it's actually a really scary prayer. It is a scary prayer to actually say, Jesus, you need to change my heart. You need to change my eyes. You need to change my ears. And that the way that I see people are not my people and those people. We don't get to other people. We don't get to speak derogatorily about people, right? That we need to see people, all humans, Christian or not Christian, as made in the image of God. That alone would be a game changer. Then to see, okay, the actual body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ, that we belong to one another, that people who are different have different backgrounds, different histories, different stories, different theologies even. Like we need to see them and find richness in them and recognize they're part, a valuable part of the body of Christ. And what does the Holy Spirit need to do in me? What does the Holy Spirit need to do in you so that we can be a little more humble and a little more open-handed to see the value and dignity of one another? The other question I thought would be is really hard is what would it look like, Holy Spirit, to be people who found their identity as people who belong to Christ? And I think for us as good Christian people, Marin, we always think, man, we belong to Christ. He's our father. We're adopted into his family. He loves us. He oozes mercy and grace on us, which is all totally true. But you know what language we never use around here is that we're slaves to Christ. Like when we say we belong to Christ, that we are servants of Christ, that we're willing to hand over all of our rights, all of our belongings, all of our status, all of our everything for the service of Jesus Christ. That is not our normal language. That is not my normal language. 
And the only way that happens is the Holy Spirit to have his way in us. Because the more that we can understand how good and gracious God is, the more that we are willing to submit to Christ, to hand over our lives, to hand over our rights more and more and more. And the third thing is, what would it look like to be people who are sent out? And as I prayed, I said, Jesus, what in the world would that look like? Holy Spirit, have your way with me in our church. What would it look like for people who would actually give of themselves more to their neighborhood, to their places of business, and to the whole wide world? And you want to know my very first thought was, there's no way, Jesus, there's no way I'm going to do that. Now, you guys may be ready to do that, but I thought there's no way I'm going to do that. And the reason was not because I don't like people and not because I don't want Jesus to be known all over the world, but the reason is because I am so tired. Like, I'm so tired. I do my life. I do my kids. And at the end of the day, I just want to watch Netflix. I just want to watch Netflix. And then, you know, those stories are so good. And they all go, want to watch the next one in five, four, three. I'm like, all right, one more. Oh, I should probably do something else. Nope, five. Like, right? We just want to disconnect. We just want to like back off. Like the world's too complex. The news is too hard. Our family systems are too hard. Our jobs are too hard. And we just want to step back and just zone out. And it would only be a movement of the Holy Spirit. It'd be a work of the Holy Spirit if he did that to us individually and corporately and allowed us to put away our Netflix, to put away our phones, to have eyes to see and to recognize that the people we live next to, the people we share cubicles with, the people we share space with, the resources for uh, missionaries and organizations that go out all over the world to be generous with our heart would be truly a movement of the Holy Spirit. God, what would it look like for you to have your way with me, to have your way with our church? If the Holy Spirit could have his way with us, those are a couple markers that I think, yep, we are on the right track. We are becoming more multi-everything. We're becoming more and more slave to Christ. And we are willing to be sent, to be so generous with our heart. So here's three things that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks as we unpack the book of Acts. What it looks like to be faithful to our King. If you want to know what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, someone who faithfully submits to Christ, it's these three things that are going to come up over and over and over again in Acts. One is that we share the good news of Christ with our words and our actions. Two, that we form diverse Jesus communities where all people are equal and give allegiance to Jesus and live by his teachings. Boy, that would just be incredible. Our allegiance is to Jesus and to his teachings, not all the things that define our little in-groups. And thirdly, all of this is done by trusting in the power and the guidance of the Spirit to lead the church forward. It is going to be an incredible thing. I cannot even believe it. For the next eight or ten weeks, every week, week in and week out, we're going to say, Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Have your way with our church. And that is a terrifying prayer. I prayed it once in college, and I'm like, I'm never praying that prayer again. And so I want to dip my toe in. I want to dip a little bit more, though. I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Have your way with our church. For we long to be people that give you honor and glory, that we long to be people who give you good witness. And so as I think about what do we need to do, what's a baby step for us to take? And every week as we, do, as we walk through the book of Acts, every week we're going to have an action item. And so I thought, what is one way we can dip our toe into this? And it's simply this, how can we live in a way that makes it clear to God and to the world that we are Christian? This doesn't mean put a Jesus fish on your car and then cut people off and drive a little slower. That's not what that means. But we are called to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ in word and deed. We are the testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And so what would it look like? What can we do to live in a way that makes it clear both to God and to the world that we're Christians? And when I say Christian, I mean people who belong to Christ. I love our vision statement. It says to engage with the spiritually hungry towards a life in Christ. That the way that we understand our, 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 the Christian life is not, oh, I became a Christian. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. End of story. No, it's that we're people who are continually laying our lives before Christ, saying, have your way with me. Have your way more with me. It's like this onion that just keeps getting peeled and layer after layer gets peeled back and gets peeled back. And so if you're thinking, I'm, I'm great with God. Things with God and I are great. Or I don't even want to deal with God because that's just too hard for me. Like, whatever, like wherever you are, this idea of moving towards Christ is simply this step. It's a step towards Christ saying, God, have your way a little bit more with me. Jesus in Luke says this, right? That we are to pick up our cross daily and follow him. So what does it mean to be followers of Christ? What does it mean to, to be a little more Christian? Here's something that I think that would be an interesting challenge for us to try to have a posture towards Christ that we belong to him. And if we belong to him, what are we willing to die to or give up in order to belong more? And I can tell you in my whole life of knowing Jesus and all the ways that I feel like Jesus is slowly changing me and sanctifying me and transforming me, I have never in my entire life jumped off the deep end and given everything to Jesus in one, one fell swoop. Some of you have, and those are incredible testimonies. And praise God that out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit comes in, grabs you, and changes something all in one swoop. For me, that's not how it is. It is a daily and disciplined movement towards Christ. It is a daily disciplined, okay, Jesus, more of this, more of this, and more of this. So what I want to do is I just want to give you one whole minute to be quiet. To, to pray the dangerous prayer of, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Have your way with me. What is one way I can move towards you? What is one thing I must give up? What is one thing I need to confess? What's an area of my life I haven't even considered giving to you? I have no idea what the Holy Spirit is going to do in you and wants to speak through you. But in one whole minute, you get to wrestle with the Holy Spirit and see what he may re reveal to you. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. We're so thankful that you have offered your spirit to us, to your people, as a sign of the expanding kingdom. That intimacy with you is one of the main markers of what it means to know you and to follow you and to have your kingdom be present here on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we as a church, individually and corporately, we stand with our hands open and we ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon us in power and that we would be your witnesses, that we would be Christians, that we would be people who belong to you, who are slaves to you. And everything in our flesh is holding on with all of our might and saying, no, there has to be another way. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to continue to have your way, to speak loudly, to pry our hands open so that we can hand you more of our lives, so that we can be your witnesses, your witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to Corte Madera, and Mill Valley, and San Francisco, and Petaluma, and Novato, and Sonoma, and everywhere in between that we'd be people who would give you honor and give you glory as our risen King. 
And all of God's kids said, amen and amen.